This week, we watched the 1997 critically panned Kevin Costner-directed film titled The Postman. And along the way, we asked ourselves, is this film another means of torture? Should this film have been titled Dirt World? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Everybody and welcome to what is sure to be another thrilling, death-defying, although maybe nap-inducing episode of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi totally. Podcast. It was exhausting yes. watching The Postman. So exhausting. Oh. A three-hour-long snooze fest <laughs> that had little to no sci-fi elements in it, None. despite all of the billing that we got it for being a science fiction film. It was, it was a big lie. It was huge. It I was a lie. I, well, that's why we put it on this list. We thought it was sci-fi. Yeah. The book's all about sci-fi. Before we get into disemboweling this film, <laughs> disemboweling. Here is a quick breakdown of the plot. Now, mind you, this is this film came out in 1997, so it is past our five-year statute of limitations on spoilers. So we start off. The film take, starts off in 2013. And boy, were their predictions off about what 2013 were going to look like. <laughs> I don't know if anything is correct. Mm -hmm. Nothing is correct. And this is a 2013 where wars and plagues have left the United States without infrastructure, technology, or government. And it's all militias and nomads just roaming the country. And the occasional lion. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> and a lone wanderer played by Kevin Costner becomes the savior of a people longing for hope so on paper this sounds like a really good movie this mm -hmm. is this this is 1997 this is kevin costner yeah a few years removed from doing dances with wolves which at the time when that came out that was a big time movie it was huge everyone loved it, it i love that movie I, I thought for sure that afterwards kevin costner could do no wrong he was the fate it's hard to think of the 90s without thinking of kevin costner yes jfk that was phenomenal. In between doing this film and Dances with Wolves, he did do JFK, mm -hmm. did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which Solid. is not a great movie, but I don't know anybody who doesn't say they're not entertained by it, at least a little bit. Oh, yeah. Did The Bodyguard, which gave us that classic Whitney Houston song, you know, I will always love you. Wow. I can't do a Whitney Houston. Please don't ask wow. me to imitate her. <laughs> wow. That was, that was beautiful. No, it wasn't. <laughs> You'll never see me do Whitney Houston karaoke anytime soon. Uh, he did uh, Wyatt Earp, which I feel like he mostly did because he couldn't get into Kurt Russell's Tombstone, and he just wanted to do his own Wyatt Earp movie. Tombstone is the superior. Is it? I've never Wyatt seen Earp that film. Either. You haven't seen Tombstone? I saw like the opening credit, like the opening scene. By fell asleep. All right, that is our non-sci-fi movie wreck of the week. Already, people. that's, that's the Tombstone. One? What? Tombstone. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Um, they also did uh, Waterworld, which is on the list, and hopefully we'll get to in a future episode. As Sean alluded to, this movie should have just been called Dirt World. It's so bad. Made on a big old budget, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, so he did Waterworld, and he also did Tin Cup, which is the, the sports movie, romantic comedy, all kind of rolled into one. Wow. A couple winners there. Yeah. Man. Uh, Kevin Costner likes his sports films, and I think he just wanted to cross a, a golf film off his list. It's a golf film? It's a golf film. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Well, at now least you like, know. At least, like, Bagger Vance was a decent golf film, but that, okay. 
And then he directed this, yeah. The Postman. Though the case can easily be made that things started to go wrong for Kevin Costner after releasing this film. Because on paper, this should have been really good. He got top talent with uh, the script writing, he, uh, Eric Roth and uh, Brian Helgeland. It's originally based on a book by David Brin. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And both of the screenwriters actually have really good credits. Eric Roth wrote Forrest Gump, The Insider, Ali, and Munich. These are Those all are great solid movies. films. And Brian Helgeland, you know, he's not without his great credits, too. He's got an Oscar for uh, L.A. Confidential. He did Payback with Mel Gibson. He wrote Mystic River. I enjoy all of those films. The music was composed by James Newton Howard, which is another Hollywood legend, starring Kevin Costner as the postman, which we get no other name for him. Nothing. Throughout this 180-minute long snooze fest. At least in the original book, we got a name for this guy, and Kevin Costner just takes it over. He's just the postman. And we have Will Patton in the film as General Bethlehem. Yeah. And the rest of the cast is kind of rounded out with um, yeah. a lot of bit actors. Olivia Williams as Abby. Hard to find her in um, in reasonable IMDb credits. She was in like The Sixth Sense yeah. after this, and then that's like the last thing I've seen her in. And also, we have another rock star cameo yes. following Back to the Future, which if I have to... Admitted Back to the Future did their rock star cameo a whole lot better. We have Tom Petty in this movie as the, yes! as the bridge city mayor. I liked it. I liked this well, cameo. Well, you may have liked it. I did, and I just thought it was a bit gratuitous to throw in Kevin Costner's favorite rock star into it. Oh, see, I didn't know it was his I'm assuming rock star. Tom Petty is Kevin Costner's favorite rock star because there's no other reason for Tom Petty to be in this movie. This dude just, like, worshipped himself this entire film. Mm-hmm. On paper, like we said, this should have been a good movie. It was based off a very popular science fiction novel from the mid-80s. But with that being said, I think it's important to talk about some of the differences that we found out between the book and the film. And I think this is actually the first movie we're covering that was originally based on a book. Yeah. I, I do believe that's the yeah. case. So we were finally having a discussion about when there's a movie approaching that's originally based on a book. Um, so the original book was written by... David Brin, as we mentioned, and the book features electromagnetic pulses, bioweapons. There is an artificial intelligence that's running an entire state at one point. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I would love to see that film. I would too. But Kevin Costner saw all those elements and was like, no, I want to make a Western. He loves Westerns. He's really good at Westerns. But why? This movie is not a Western. Even if you take out all the science fiction elements, it's not a Western. He tried to make it a Western, but it's not. It really isn't. More of a story of a con man who just fell into an old mail sack and is just delivering it to random old people across the country just to stay alive and get a random meal every now and then. Exactly. Kevin Costner, you disappoint us. I don't know. Well, he does a good movie every now and then, and then he does something like this where it's like, man, you were right there at the top, and then he just brought us back down. Exactly. So this originally was not supposed to be a Kevin Costner-directed film. No. No, it was not. This was originally set with Ron Howard to direct and Tom Hanks to star. So we get a Tom Hanks? I think Tom Hanks may have just been attached to it because he was looking for something different to to do which i don't blame him yeah but we get our second appearance from ron howard in this show as a potential director which leads to the question once again do you think this movie would be different with ron howard directing it yeah because it wouldn't be like completely owned by kevin costner yeah it wouldn't be three hours long you would definitely have other people chiming in Whereas him, he would just be like, this seems great. Ron Howard would have brought in a solid editing team and just said, no, I don't want to do that. Definitely. And supposedly David Brin was actually happy with the screenplay. 
He was happy with the screenplay. Yeah. I would have been a bit more disappointed in one of them to actually put in some of the things that made my novel so great instead of trying to turn this into, you know, post-apocalyptic Wyatt Earp. Well, maybe the screenplay was written very well, but not the movie itself. Not the movie itself. He didn't enjoy the film. He enjoyed the screenplay. Well, to be honest, there weren't a ton of production notes floating around on the internets for me to find. I mean, every now and then, I mean, there was the stuff about Dirt World, and at one point, a uh, visual effects designer was fired two weeks into production. Really? As far as controversy goes, there wasn't much surrounding the film. No, no toxic fandom. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. Well, actually, I saw online a bunch of people are enjoying this film now. They Nowadays, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it like a 9% off of, I think it was like 34 reviewers. Well, you know my feelings about Rotten Tomatoes. I do. Whereas the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, gave it almost like a 50. And it was like a couple thousand that watched the film. Well, sometimes so the, the audience, audience gets it right. Yeah. But I don't think this is the case of that. If you're looking at it just from the fact that I want to turn off my brain and watch a Kevin Costner movie, okay, okay, by by all means, this is for you, and then follow it up with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) Yeah, if you're a big Kevin Costner Mm -hmm. fan. But this was made on a budget of $80 million. Which is just, you can see it throughout the film like yes, the great is, location shots the sets i mean this it, is a very expensive film to look at super expensive but it's good like mm-hmm. everything the location is phenomenal and because i'm a fan of inflation calculators this to, if this movie was made now it would cost 125 million to make holy cow so l- let's let's start discussing first thing i want to talk about i want to talk about this three hour runtime three hours yes three hours long it is literally a slugfest to get through this movie and it's clearly divided into three acts we have the first act where he's captured by the wholeness mm-hmm. and then he escapes the yeah he escapes becomes the postman slash con man yep and then in act three he becomes the revolutionary leader all the while still not knowing his real name no you never get the name so annoying dances with wolves i can understand that being four hours long but Kevin Costner finds himself in these unnecessarily long movies more often than not. He does. I mean, JFK was a long movie. Wyatt Earp was a long movie. Wyatt Earp, uh, Waterworld got up there a little bit. 13 Days was a bit longer than it should have been. And then Man of Steel as well. Yeah. And he's not in Man of Steel a ton. No. But his scenes Beginning. are the best in that movie. I wanted more Kevin Costner in Man of Steel. <laughs> but we're not talking about that movie today, unfortunately. I need more Kevin Costner. That would have been what cured uh, Man of Steel. <laughs> Kevin Costner. But with Phantom Menace, I brought up the point that there is a good movie somewhere within Phantom Menace. It, if you if you edit down and you put, bring in a script doctor, mm-hmm. but that's not the case with The Postman. There isn't a good movie, no matter how much you trim out or how much you rework the dialogue. This is still not a good movie on paper. Well, I think it's like the climax kills the film. And There's so much that kills the film leading up to the climax, though. I mean, I enjoyed the first half where he's captured by the like, the clan, the wholeness. Yeah, but that, I thought those scenes were great. They're it was great, but it could have been a lot shorter. It didn't have to be totally. It didn't have to be 45 minutes. It, I know of a three-hour-long <laughs> movie. It was a long time. If this was an hour 40 film, and that first act was maybe 35, 35 minutes, and even that's a bit much. Still. It still would have been much better than the first act we got. And this Well, it took forever. It took him 49 minutes to become the postman. And this first act is crammed with red shirts that yes. just die in with no service to the story, period. Bethlehem just destroys anyone. Yeah. He just kills them all. Well, there's 
build a mule. Yes. That's just killed unceremoniously and then put into a gruel. Yeah, they put it. Oh, I'm so mad. Which we get no emotional reaction from KC. No, KC. After seeing his 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 buddy the mule is killed, he just looks at it and is like, man. And then he just gives it to somebody else in the jail cell. He's like, here, you eat my friend and be okay with it. Or there's Woody. He helps Kevin Costner escape in that end of the first act. He throws a knife into Idaho's arm. And then also Idaho is a red shirt who gets eaten yes. by the lens flare. Yes. Or at least my lens flare. He gets eaten by the lion. He does. And What's up with this lion that just shows up? Yeah, it's in the beginning of the scene, at the beginning of the film, and then it just appears again. It's a very weak pretext to get the prisoners out it out of the compound. Like, hey, we're going on a lion hunt. Like, yeah. Really? You couldn't say, like, we're going out for a deer or a moose hunt and there just happens to be a lion well, out wasn't here? wasn't it like the lion killed one of the guys and they're like, you have to kill the lion and like, bring the guy back? You got to bring the body back and kill the lion. Like, why? There's a lion out there. I'm not going out there. Oh, yeah. And uh, Giovanni Ribisi is in this. Ribisi. Ribisi is in the. He has there you go. Bandit 20. <laughs> yeah. They don't even give <laughs> him the courtesy him of the giving name. him a name like Paul or something. But I hated his teeth. Yeah. I didn't like him. He, he did good. He did a great job. So Idaho eaten by the lion, Giovanni Rubisi getting stabbed, Woody getting shot to death, and Bill the Mule being Hannibal Lectored into a, gr- a gruel. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, for when they joined the wholeness, I was like, "Is this the KKK?" Because they made some racist comments. Mm-hmm. And um, but once Woody showed up, I'm like, "Up, oh, JK, he's black." But it was weird because at the beginning of the film, when they're like Bethlehem comes to this town, he's like going through all the people to basically indoctrinate into this wholeness. He like says no to an Asian guy he's like turning random people away so i'm like all right is this white supremacy a lot of the background of the movie kind of gets lost and i don't know if this is the fault of the screenwriters or kevin costner but yeah the gist i got from nathan holm was that he was this like self-help quote-unquote therapist who wrote a couple of mediocre books and then people took those to heart okay because you see bethlehem really kind of quoting nathan holm yeah. to heart and he, holding him up as one of the heroes of his life he did and yet this is a man who can quote shakespeare yes. who's well he's not bob ross talented at painting but he still paints he has his hobbies he did so this is a guy who yeah he should be likable mm-hmm. but he's not because he's he's that one friend we have who's always quoting those self-help books thinking that they'll actually do him any good well, he's quoting the wrong passage He's quoting the wrong, he's pick and choosing what he wants to hear and adopt for his life policies. Yeah, like they're quoting Shakespeare and he's like, cry havoc. It's like, what? Well, how do we even know that um, Bethlehem is his real name? Because we don't get Kevin Costner's real name. No. Uh, Lorenz Tate's character changed his name. We We know Abby's name. We know Michael's name. We don't know a ton of characters' real names. We like no. Sheriff Briscoe. For all we know, that's like his last name. Yeah. Uh, and, and for all we know, that could be the previous sheriff of the town too. So we don't get a ton of confirmed characters and or no. even characters that we even like much in this movie. No, there's very few. Bethlehem is totally an unlikable villain. Yeah. He, at the beginning, I enjoyed his character. Like I even took notes and you can just like see it in my notes as it transitions to, ooh, the villain's interesting. He's doing wrong. He has all these like 
scum, but he's also very educated. But then as it goes down, I'm like, this guy's just a douche. Yeah, I'm the like, best villains terrible. have some type of redeemable quality or they do None. something redeemable for the audience to like them. Like He just like starts killing random people. It's exactly. crazy. And he carries around and... this uh this sword and he's you know, yeah. slashing people in the neck and trying to and cut he's... out the tongue of his uh, lieutenant. Yeah, he's just like, I was there when the White House burned down. He just yeah. thinks he's a god. I want a better written character of Bethlehem where he's somewhat likable and maybe idealistic, and then along the way, he gets down into the dark hole of his life and yes. becomes the, the evil person that we see in The Postman. So yes. if there is a good movie anywhere, it's in the fact that there could be a potential decent prequel from this. Totally. I enjoyed hearing about like their because they talk about their jobs they did before like the mm -hmm. apocalypse happened, and that was kind of cool. He's like, I think General Bethlehem said he sold printers. Yeah, which is I'm like, that's kind of cool. You get to see what they did prior. This movie's a lot like Game of Thrones, where okay. the Never best part it. of the show or everything that led up to the show all happened 30 years before the show took place. Like all the interesting parts of. All the conflicts of the characters we're seeing now mm -hmm. happened way before the show even took place. And this movie is clearly set in a post-apocalyptic America where there's no government, there's no technology, there's no infrastructure. Nothing. And yet we get zero explanation as to what exactly happened. Nothing. Um, we see some brief scenes where Kevin Costner is testing water for you know, pollutions yeah. or anything. But with post-apocalyptic films, we get some type of title card or explanation at the beginning of the film that explains how we got to where we are. Like, we got that with 12 Monkeys. We kind of got that with Mad Max, Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. So we see this, but we don't get this in this movie. So right away, as an audience, we're what confused as to what the heck is going on here. All you get is, like, from the letters and, like, random mumblings, throwaway lines. You're like, ah, the weather got really bad. The landscape started to change, but there's like nothing. There's no science experiment gone wrong. Nothing. Yeah. It's very annoying. This movie is <laughs> a very, uh, it's a thinly veiled political criticism. When uh, the postman, well, when Kevin Costner's character, he's not quite the postman yet. I mean, at this stage of the movie, I would call him the con man. Yes. And then he becomes a postman slash con man. He couldn't figure out what he was. He, yeah, but he then like when he gets to Pineview and he has to kind of BS his way into this town yeah. by saying the president is Richard Starkey, who if you know your musical history, you know that's Ringo Starr. Yeah. I did not catch that. Yeah. And the only thing that Kevin Costner mentions in terms of legislation is uh, the Bolin Act. B-O-L-I-N. Did you look up anything that may have been close to that? No. Well, I did. The only thing I could dig up remotely relating to that is the Boland Act. Okay. Uh, B O L A N D. I thought it was which wrong. actually aimed to limit U.S. government assistance to the Contras in Nicaragua. That was the only thing I could find that remotely resembled that. But even then, that wasn't far away from the timeline of this movie. So if this movie wasn't set in 2013 and may have been set in like 2063 or something, mm -hmm. I could have found it to be a bit more plausible. Yeah, I, I figured it was all just throwaway junk. But that's kind of cool. There's something kind of similar to that. Yeah, Richard Starkey Rick slash Ringo Starr as a president, and apparently they're set up in the Metrodome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the uh, Tang reference. Yeah. Made. I was like, wow, this film's dated. Well, the movie, I think the movie can be, the case can be made that this isn't so much a science fiction, but no. more like a political science fiction. A political science fiction. Throw the politics at me. I'm yeah, like, well, where, there's, where? Well, A, there's no government. So yeah. there's already that speculation. So in place of without a 
democratic government, I mean, it's it's hard to theorize what would rise up in place. But I think yeah. this movie kind of gives us a good predictor or it is a solid prediction of what we could see in a potential post-government collapse where the, the country isn't run so much by one central figure, but there's a group of militias that kind of control regions. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Mm hmm. It's people like we vie for that type of leadership. Yeah. And without <laughs> technology or infrastructure, we'll definitely be going back to more of an agrarian society. Oh, yeah. Strong um, survive. I don't know if there will be much of an emphasis on knowledge or knowledge retention yeah. in a post-government world. It would be tough. It would be tough. I mean, when the heaters go out, the first thing people raid for warmth is the libraries. Exactly. So so we could see like all those collections of those David Brin books just be burned. How ironic. I mean, assuming, and there, I mean, there's no, there's no Democrats, there's no Republican. No, there's none. I mean, which I'm on board for that. Yeah. I'm on board for no <laughs> political parties. Do you think you could survive in a world like this, Chris? You know, it's tough to say. Okay. Because it a world like this is unpredictable. It is very unpredictable. It's like I mean, an assuming animal, all man. the infrastructures have collapsed, I mean, we're seeing lions run around the freaking wilderness. Yeah. So, I mean, for all I know, like there's an eagle that just swoops down and pecks out my eyeballs because like, hey, look, I haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> or there's a cougar that just comes get me or you know, I wander into a swamp where an alligator shouldn't be and then oh, look, there's an alligator and just chomp. Yeah. In a post-apocalyptic world, I mean, it's hard to predict where you'll end up. Yes. I mean, you have to have a certain set of rules, and we kind of see that with Kevin Costner and the little characterization we get from his character. Like, I know, I know the rule. Rule number one is avoid civilization. And the one time he breaks his rule, you know, he gets captured by the wholeness. Because he does, like, the play. He's doing, like, Shakespeare with uh, Bill the Mule. Yeah. He he was a great con man. I enjoyed con man, <laughs> Casey. Well, he was a con man in the entire movie he was he just kept flip-flopping he's like i want to be a postman and then people start dying and he's like i don't want to be a postman anymore i don't want to be a revolutionary it's just like what you were so fine killing off all the general's men just like blowing them away but the one kid dies and then it's like the end of the world no that raises a good question too i mean if you want to become a revolutionary this can be lives yeah it you gotta be you gotta be willing to get your hands dirty and you I, have to recognize some people that will die around you i actually really enjoyed that theme in this film where they talked about that like if you want to change death has death comes with change like yeah. you can't avoid it there's going to be a cost that was really cool it stopped me for a second. It's like, true with any oh. political revolution that it, there are going to be some bodies along the way. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the swearing in scene where he's just basically reading the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is awesome. What a, I didn't like the sperm donor scene. That was a little weird. Yeah, things got awkward pretty quick in Pineview yeah. there. Like, Abby just comes up to him and is like, like, have you had the bad bumps? Like, okay like what's going on here and then she asks him like put a baby at me like, yeah and he does it, at first he's he doing says, the right thing but like i'm gonna go right i was like oh sweet he does have morals and ethics for some like you know yeah he doesn't want to do it with a stranger who would have thought that a con man had you know well, who knew who knew that would be the line with a con man so that's what i mean it was like weird because you think he would and but then he does Anyway, she shows well, up and more like room. she sneaks into his room and then he just like, well, you're naked, so may as well. But he's found out pretty quick by the sheriff in Pineview. And I like the sheriff. Everybody like is, they're giving him baths. They're giving him food. Mm -hmm. And then that um, uh, Irene March, the blind woman, she has a an overshare with her sister and she gives him an envelope with the 
blank address. Like, how am I supposed to know how I to know, find her? I saw that. It's like he's the quote unquote postman, not, you know, Houdini. <laughs> I know. He's not Harry what Potter. He could just pull out an address do? from nowhere. <laughs> just travel all over the and world. And then he goes back. Like, and then also, too, I mean, in Pineview, we kind of get our only death that serves the story in some way. Yes. Abby's husband, My- Michael is killed by General Bethlehem. And in a movie that's filled with with red shirts going down left and right, Michael and Bill the Mule are really the only two deaths where we feel anything in this movie for any of the characters. We get that crappy little epilogue at the end of the movie where the postman has died and he gets a statue of himself. And even then, we don't know his name on that plaque. No, they put the postman. Like it's like you'd think somebody would have figured out his name thirty years down the road. It was too important. Rebuilding society. There was so much of this movie in the third act that was corny. Oh my gosh, Corn City! I have to say that was probably. I don't know. This is the first time we've ever reviewed a film where you see a slow motion action scene of guys rolling on the ground. <laughs> like it was a movie so... that's that's not you know. God, what a wor- what a horrible climax that. I hated the I climate. I think the, the overuse of so slow motion, that, oh, I think that was producer Jeremy's lens flare. And we had our first montage in this film. They we got our montage. They where montage. Yeah, where they're- uh, Delivering the mail. and then... Who would have thought delivering the mail would turn out to be so cool? <laughs> it, it's proof that any scene could look cool if you edit it like a montage. Exactly. I've been waiting for a montage in one of these films. So, yay. Did you like Tom Petty? He uh he like makes him What does he do? He like puts him on like a crane. He is the mayor of Bridge City and he puts him on that um like it's like um a zip line. Yeah, it's a like a basket zip line. Did it's you... like, man, it's it's quick this way. I go on it just for fun. Oh, but that scene was not quick. It was like in a minute and a half of just him smiling. They're like they, well, they yeah, had to put like has... a fan where his hair's blowing. Kevin back. Costner reads Shakespeare probably the worst of any actor oh, alive. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's right. He, he did has that Shakespeare. She has. He has the oh. Band of Brothers line God. from Henry. Uh, I think it's Henry V as he's going down that zip line. That was so bad. It's like he could have read that with a little bit of passion because this is meant to be the scene where he's rallying his troops for the final battle. It's like a camera just staring into him, and he's just like looking out, hair blowing in the wind, reading Shakespeare. And, and over- he, he has that flat affect when he's doing Shakespeare, and you can't do that when you're reading Shakespeare. You have to, no. you have to read it. A, you have to have you know comprehension of what you're saying, and I don't think Kevin Costner does. Well, this was probably at the end, like of the editing process. He's like, "Crap, I'll just throw in Shakespeare." Yeah, so it's he like just, he didn't uh, know how to. It's like um, when Harrison Ford did the overdubs of Blade Runner. So the first one of the cuts, they had him like do. Um, like epilogues and prologues into the beginning and end. So he would do like these overdubs and they're so bad because he didn't want to come in and read yeah, them. Yeah, the and narration so just, of this oh, film is so definitely bad. like that too, especially so at the bad. beginning where uh turns out it's his daughter that's narrating the film. Yeah. Daughter named Hope, which is Hope. the corniest oh, name of any woman in a post-apocalyptic movie. I couldn't believe it. Was, uh, but by then my jaw was still on the ground from that scene of... <laughs> like the end battle. I couldn't believe it. 
Oh yeah, and they rebuilt society in thirty years. Yeah, I I Tech. don't think this movie should have been focused around Kevin Costner's character. No, I I would have rather have seen a movie where Abby is the main character. Yeah, because Abby is straight gangster in this movie. <laughs> she, I mean, they're starving, and Kevin Costner's complaining about the food. And no. what does she do? She takes the horse outside and shoots Bam. it so they can have a decent meal, and she, so mostly so she can shut him up. But even when they're stuck in the woods, he tries blaming her for the situation. Apparently, without any recognition of the crap she just went through after being taken prisoner by Bethlehem for God knows how long, because this movie is terrible at time. letting us know how much time has passed. There is no time in this film. Like, he gets shot, then all of a sudden it's snowing, and then they're in a cabin, and we have no idea. Yeah. She's apparently pregnant. Yeah, the best see- scene with Abby in this movie also didn't have to be in the movie, which is, does Abby's character a major disservice? Because she is one of the best parts of this movie, but she has to work with what she's being given with Kevin Costner, which isn't much. Not at all. <laughs> his lines are so awful. Well, it's not so much his lines are bad, it's just how he reads them, too. Like, it's you're terrible. weird. I know. Yeah, like that, once again, there's like throwaway lines where he's just like, you're weird. Or like, Bethlehem, I'm better than you. Yeah. Like, what? Also, t- the resistance fighting is another thing that bothered me because we don't get that until the third act of the film. Yeah. And we don't see that like we see in other films like Red Dawn. Okay. I've never seen Red Dawn. Well, that's your mistake. I don't know what you've been doing for <laughs> years, but I mean, if you're if you're crazy for Patrick Swayze, then that has to be on your list. Red Dawn. Uh-huh. Patrick Swayze's in that? Patrick Swayze and a very young uh, pre-cocaine problem Charlie Sheen. <laughs> But okay. we don't get a ton of that in this film, and I feel like that that would have helped us connect with the uh, the younger bit players is if we had more of the fighting and if mm-hmm. we see more of them dying in unfortunate ways. I mean, it, granted, it, it is terrible to see that in a movie like this, but it would have helped us connect with the characters a bit more. Exactly. Because we, we don't get that at any point. We don't. He just shows up at the post office. Hey, I'm here. I made all this. Hey, I want to fight. Yeah. And that's it. The worshiping of his character. I hated uh, him and Abby was just so bad. Such a forced romance. If the movie was about her so and much he was more of a secondary character, it maybe would have been better. Yeah. But then you have to shoehorn that love scene with Ke- her and Kevin Costner. And I don't think he knows how to either do partake or direct in love scenes oh period. so bad oh the way she like sneaks up into his bedroom yeah that and, was so bad. and then he's dancing with her in the town square where he just has that stupid smirk on his face yeah anytime like like what okay there's only one movie where the kevin costner smirk worked and that was bull durham and it does not work in this movie <laughs> at all <laughs> no more smirks do not smirk because <laughs> when he smirks like and he's got like the wrinkles and stuff going on it does not look good hashtag no smirk hashtag no smirk <laughs> let's get that good let's make that be a thing yeah that was just so bad his joking scene you used to love when I, you thought i was funny it's like oh dude you never were no no you weren't funny where was at all. the where was a smart aleck teenager who yells from yes! the background you never were funny no because they were worshiping him like a god the only sidekick that we get is ford lincoln mercury and he does nothing but kind of you know brown noses to him the entire film and he goes behind his back and disobeys orders so many times he does he gets himself captured and he gets that postal carrier from california he gets him red shirted too yeah the guy just dies Mm -hmm. which it was like because he was the guy initially that was uh passed by uh general bethlehem's army they wouldn't accept him because he's asian so he becomes a postman it's like sweet 
and then he just kills him. So this is all leading up to the climax of the or the quote unquote climax because it's not much of one. It is not. Well, they're not, and they're neither of them are armies. They're more two militias just riding out into a field to meet each other. They even had guys like up in the corner, like you. So there were horses, a couple guys that climbed up on like the hills. You could see out of the corner of your eye. I'm like, wow, they actually had extras up there. <laughs> there was a ton of extras so in that. So many. I mean, I do have to, I mean, that's. Props to that. Props man. to that for having as many real extras as they could. Probably uh, the see, because nowadays it's all like computer graphics. CGI, man. So in terms of production design, cinematography, this movie does deserve props. Top notch. As well as uh, the score for the film. Although nah. there were times where I felt that James Newton Howard's score was a bit out of place. Like if this was done in service of a Western, mm-hmm. for instance, that would have been better. But again, this leads us back to our argument of Kevin Costner trying to make a Western and not a science fiction film. And he tried. He really tried to make this into a Western because the whole time I watch it, I'm like, this is, he's trying. This is, feels like a Western in some regards, but it's a it's bad clearly a, It's clearly a case of him trying too hard. Yes, Totally. He's trying to make a... Well, it was fresh off of uh, Dances with Wolves. This was his second film they directed. Yeah. So he's like, I get it. They gave him all this money. They're like, make another Oscar film. And it clearly wasn't. No. But this final battle, I mean, it just sort of happens. It it, it does We get a quick Shakespeare monologue and everybody <laughs> just knows where to show up. And we don't even get much of a fight. It's They jump off each other on horseback and in the most awkward slow motion fight in the history of film, they're literally just rolling around in the mud. Rolling. And then he choked General Bethlehem, chokes out KC, and he says, I'm better than you. Lots of shoving, lots of grimacing, lots of slow motion. And then, it, oh, the fist pounding, like, or the face punching. Yeah, yeah. It is so unsatisfying to and watch it, this fight. And it pans to the crowd. Like, that was my lens flare, dude. I'm like, come on. Why? The scene is awful. We don't need it. No, there there could have been a better climax. Yeah. Like, you have these two militias meeting so in a field that we don't get any big fight. Nothing. I wanted the big fight. You're going to you're gonna ride these two militias out in the middle of the nowhere, they didn't and even, they're not going to fight? They didn't even kill Ford, because he captures Ford, Bethlehem, and then he's, like, about to kill him. Well, his plan was to use him as a bargaining chip as soon as he figured out who he was. Which is awesome. I was like, sweet. This would be great some emotion maybe i'll get emotionally involved maybe he'll kill ford and casey will just lead a charge but at the end i mean bethlehem gets his shot in through to he's shot through the chest mm-hmm. by his uh colonel who who doesn't speak because bethlehem cut out his tongue and castrated him that's right so that was the guy yeah so how kevin okay. coster was able to challenge him is because since he was indoctrinated in the wholeness he that's had that right. brand and he had that right to the challenge yeah. the leadership of the clan and the colonel was the last guy who tried to do so and lost. And I, uh, I think that climax just is a perfect case of like when you adapt a book to like a film, mm-hmm. you can take some elements out of it, but you have to change them to films. Like you can't. Like I'm sure in the book, this was great. You know, like oh, I challenge. You know, because you have that investment into the characters and you know all the parameters but this for an audience as an audience you're million just, dollar budget yeah. film you can't as an audience you're just counting down to when Bethlehem gets killed because yes. you don't like him the whole time he's just killing postmen killing everyone he's like I'm gonna take over the world it's my world but then right after this obviously we have the epilogue where personally I thought the movie could have just ended on him holding his baby yeah 
And that, that would have been, been it. Fine. We I don't thought it need was. this stupid statue scene at the end of the movie. He was alluding to his Oscar that he thought he was going to win. You know, Roger Ebert, I think, said it best when he said he went from Dances with Wolves to Dancing with Myself. Yes. Yeah. Because he, he built a statue of himself in Literally. this movie. And it's the corniest epilogue I think I've seen in any movie. <laughs> because the little boy that he rode up to in slow motion and took the letter out of his hand... That's now the man who's standing in front of the statue going, that That's was me. me. Like, you just happened to be at this dedication of the postman statue. Because <laughs> they told him, they're like, You're hey. not dead from all the biological agents that are still hanging around in the air, apparently. Right. And they rebuilt the country in a- for, 30 years. Yeah, r- miraculously short period of time. They have planes, cameras, television. Like, they're literally reporters there, vehicles. Like, they just build it all back up. In such a short amount of time, too. I would like to see that film. I would like to see that. How they rebuilt it? Yeah. I mean, maybe because technology is different, especially nowadays. You could have like a bounce back pretty quick. But I don't know, man. Did this movie really need an epilogue, though? No, it did not. It was not needed. No, there's so much of this movie that I, wasn't needed. I didn't have questions when I was over. Wow, what happened? No, not at all. It was very lousy, and uh, it left me very angry. But not as angry as Phantom Menace. But, <laughs> but I was still very- I think you brought it up off air that you enjoyed this movie more than the Phantom Menace. But I didn't enjoy it at all. I enjoyed it more than Phantom if I could enjoy Phantom. You know, I yeah, I enjoyed Phantom more than this movie. That's okay. <laughs> now that we've kind of uh, critiqued the movie enough, let's move Critique. quickly into the legacy of this. The uh, Razzies. Yeah. Razzies. To say this movie tanked would be an understatement. It swept- the Razzies. It grossed $17.6 million against that $80 million budget. So, so that is a- Inflation would be like, what, $30 million nowadays? Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> when you can't even make up a fourth of your budget, that is, uh, that's not good. That's You're pretty- not going to do well. And critics lambasted it for bogus sentimentality, which I have to agree with them. Oh, they hated Siskel and Ebert, when they were still a team, they gave this movie two thumbs down. Uh, Roger Ebert, in a later review, gave it one and a half stars. And as we mentioned during the top of the show, it currently holds a 9% rating on Rotten Tomatoes for whatever that's worth. No Oscar wins or nominations, which was a huge shocker. <laughs> they did but get a couple of Saturns. Couple, a uh, couple of Saturns, but that's uh, that's more of like fan voting. Oh, it's yeah. like you can put whatever weight on those you want, but they they don't really mean anything in the long run. I mean, neither do Oscars. No, not really, especially now. But it did sweep the Razzies, it as did. we mentioned. It so swept <laughs> worst actor, worst director, worst picture, worst screenplay, and worst original song for quote the entire song selection. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, this movie did not do well. So, with all of that in mind, what do you think went wrong with this movie? Everything. The pacing. I think the pacing and editing was so lousy. The pacing was very similar to The Phantom Menace. It just, they needed to chop up this film. They didn't need the first half. That We did not need to take 49 minutes for him to become the postman. Well, is this movie, could this also be remade or rebooted, do you think, within the next few years? I think it could be, re- definitely. If you rebooted this film into like an indie sci-fi film, totally. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. $20 million budget. 
throw in some sci-fi elements, practical effects. I want to see That'd the prequel solid. where Bethlehem became Bethlehem. That would be solid, too. Like, nice. seeing on The Walking Dead how Negan became Negan. Mm-hmm. Is you have, an, you have an, on paper, Bethlehem is an interesting villain. Very interesting. But because he's written poorly within the limits of this movie, mm-hmm. we don't like him. He was apparently in the before all this, he was a peon in the copy machine sales world. He, you know, had a affinity for Shakespeare. He had painting as a hobby. So on paper, he is interesting, but we just we just don't like him in this movie. And Will Patton did a great job acting with it. I, I Will Patton is a treasure. I haven't seen many of his films actually. He so. was in the the original Punisher with Thomas Shane. He's been on. Uh, he, he's mostly known as a bit actor. He doesn't really yeah. do anything major. I saw, but him I enjoy in... him in just about everything I see. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen him in, uh, remember, The Titans and yeah, Armageddon, mm-hmm. and then I think that's it. Man. That I've only seen him you in. Gotta up, you got to up your Will Patton didn't take. Those are some uh, rookie numbers there. Oh, and Brooklyn's Finest. Right? I haven't seen that. Oh, it's, it's well, I, I love Ethan Hawke, so it's an Ethan Hawke, no. Wesley Snipes film. <laughs> it's, I guess it's over the moon for you. <laughs> All right, so do you think this movie holds up, though? I mean, we're, we are about 22 years removed from it and there's been a lot of chatter on the internets about how people are kind of retroactively thinking that this is now a good movie are you are you in that like, camp it's like the prequels man that now think it's it's like a 50 percent on rotten tomatoes instead of a nine i think it, it i don't think it's a nine i've seen no. battlefielder that definitely is a zero i've seen the well room. yeah you hold that if you hold that coveted zero percent rating on rotten tomatoes like i've seen direct to dvd type films you know like nicholas cage ones in the past <laughs> 10 those definitely are like you know sub 20 you know yeah percent but this i would say it's a solid like 30 and i think that leads us right into our rating for yes. the movie so on this show we have a four-tiered rating system we have a wouldn't watch category. We have a would watch, would own, and would host viewing parties. Now, for me, after viewing this movie, I had to come up with a special category <laughs> just for this. Yes. This movie is too long. It's so it's an long. hour. And, it's an hour and thirty minutes longer than it should be. Yeah. There is next to no sci-fi elements in it. Kevin Costner was clearly not the right person to direct let alone star in it. Or produce. Yeah. We don't care about these characters because we hardly know them. I would have to deem this as a would erase from my memory category. (laughs) I want this out of my head. I don't ever want to think about this movie again. I, I, if somebody suggests, hey, do you want to watch The Postman? I want to be able to say, no, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. What? The what? The what? What are you talking about? Kevin Costner? Yeah, I know him. I just don't know that movie. I want to be able to say that. We don't We don't talk about The Postman. Yeah. I want to feel about this film how I feel about uh, Phantom Menace. And I think I do. I never want to see this again. This is a would not watch for you? This is a, I would burn the copies in Walmart. <laughs> if I see I would commit for arson. For you once was arson. enough. Yes. You would commit arson. For this film. <laughs> I think we're both kind of in that category of would erase from our memory deal then, I'm, if that's the case. I, I'm good. I never want to see that. Um, I, I'm gonna. Well, I will remember that climax. I mean, I've never seen. Never seen a worse climax in oh, a movie? I will remember that for next time. 
if I ever see something that's like horrible, we'll be like, no, 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 no. no I've no, seen no. something worse. <laughs> Let me take you on a journey, young man. I'm sure there are worse films than this, but <sighs> for the sake of this podcast, we have not watched a worse one yet. I don't think this is too long. We man. we we just went from we went from the Phantom Menace to Attack the Block, which is great. And now this. So unfortunately for Attack the Block, it gets Oreoed mm-hmm. between these two not so great movies. Yeah. But let's hope the next one's better. Yeah, leading into that, we're gonna enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI Major Samantha yes. to pick between our list of movies between one and one hundred and eighteen and uh beep pop a doop a deep and she has selected number ninety five. It is a two thousand eight British film directed by Neil Marshall Another British starring film. Rona Mitra and Malcolm McDowell. It is Doomsday. Doomsday. We get a very another post-apocalyptic film. This time, we actually get a clear explanation of what exactly led to the downfall of society. That'll be our movie for next week. We'll be looking forward to watching that. So, in addition to watching and reviewing Doomsday next week, we have a very special treat Ooh. for the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. Sean and I will be discussing in a full-length episode Men in Black. Yes. We're coming at you, Men in Black style. Ahead of the new release of Men in Black International. So be on the lookout for that one. And if you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Cole, we will see you next time. Force-Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.